On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I bring you up to date on my patchy experiences with learning to drive, and I explain why I think that university isn't the right path for everybody. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 37 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. For 52 weeks between the ages of 24 and 25, I'm going to be recording and releasing a weekly podcast to see just how much my life can change in a year. This is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and it's a completely honest view into my life as I take on some fairly unusual things. And this episode right here is all about week number 37 in that journey. Right, hello. I hope you're well. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, Just to keep up with the tradition that I've been doing for the last few weeks and give you a pointless historical weather forecast for the previous seven days. Uh, It's been wet in Wales. It has been really wet. Lots of rain, lots of clouds. It's been one of those grey weeks. But that's fine because... To be honest with you, I've basically spent the whole week indoors, either in the office or sleeping or in the gym uh, or out for driving lessons, which is kind of indoors, isn't it? But this has very, very much been one of those heads down kind of weeks, which is nice because uh, it's been one of those weeks that I didn't used to have all that much. If you've been here for a few episodes back in like December, January, February time, you'll remember I would always complain about having to travel too much because of meetings to the point where I missed weeks like this, where I'm able to just sit undistracted in the office at my desk, getting stuff done and taking care of what needs to be taken care of. So yeah, it's been a good week. Now, you may have noticed there, I just mentioned driving lessons for the first time in a while, so let me very briefly give you a whistle-stop tour of the driving lessons I've done in my life so far, and and bring you up to speed with where we're at, because it has been a while. So, back when I was like 17, I did something like 20 hours of driving lessons, Uh, and to be honest with you, despite not completely getting along with my instructor... We just see the world in very different ways. Um, Everything was going well. But then I turned 18 and discovered this thing called going out. I discovered that I could spend my money on far more exciting things like alcohol. And so I put my driving lessons on hold and I told myself back then that I would start again a few months down the line. Three years passed. I did nothing. And so to hurry myself along, I booked my theory test when I was about 21, so a few years after the last time I had sat behind the wheel. Now, as you probably know, you have two years to complete your practical driving test before your theory runs out, and so between the ages of 21 and 23, I had a massive two-year window to book in some driving lessons and to get myself to the point where I could actually pass my test. So what did I do? I did nothing. The two years passed, I didn't once sit in the driver's seat of a car during that period, and so my theory test expired, and I was once again back at square one. And so, last November, I booked in my theory test again, 
I did a little bit of revision, uh, but really, if I'm honest with you, I, I kind of planned to cram in the last couple of days before the test to just cram in some revision because I already know, having passed it once, what the format of the test was. I had a general understanding of the questions from last time around, and so I thought I'd be fairly safe to just do absolutely no revision until a couple of days before, um, you know, Google some questions, look at some road signs, and I thought I would be flying. But there's something that I didn't account for, and that was that two days before my theory test back in November, just when I should have been starting revision, according to my own plan, I had neurovirus, which if you've ever had it, sorry, if you've never had before, you really want to avoid. But if you have had it before, you will know that having neurovirus is one of the most violently unpleasant, though short-lived, viral illnesses you can have. I was fucked. I was completely written off um, to a point, quite honestly, that I've, I've never, fortunately, experienced before. It is just the... It, it depletes you of literally everything in your body, plus your energy, plus at times even your coherence, I guess. You're just in this weird, broken daze for a while. But after about 36 hours, I recovered, as you do. It's sometimes called the 24-hour virus because it generally lasts. It, it comes on very quickly, lasts very violently for about 24 hours and then just completely disappears. So after about 36 hours, I had recovered and I was back to normal. And so the next morning, after all of that, I went to my theory test. Zero revision complete and I just kind of winged it. And I failed only by like two questions, but a failure nonetheless. And so kind of having accounted for that anyway, I assumed that that was what was going to happen given the state I was in 48 hours earlier. Immediately after failing that test, I booked another test. Now you may remember this if you're a real OG listener from episode number two. It was on the day of my birthday, the 11th of December last year. And thankfully, finally, I passed again. So there I was once again with my theory test certificate. And so after the new year was out of the way, I started looking for driving instructors here in Wales. So last time around, I was doing my lessons in Corby, of course. Uh, I decided this time around that I want to do my driving lessons in Wales. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, The first is quite a boring reason, which is just that I'm in Wales more often than I am not. And so I have the opportunity to get more lessons in more often when I'm in Wales. So that's what I do currently smashing out like four hours of lessons a week from the office um so there's that but secondly and i think more importantly because i basically live in wales because i am in wales so much i feel more comfortable learning to drive here where there are uh, uneven surfaces and mountains and bendy country lanes where you can't fit two cars through and all of the things that come with what is quite a rural, quite a hilly landscape compared to the flat roads and the straight roads and the roundabouts of Corby because I'm going to be driving here a lot. And so I would much rather put myself through a more difficult driving test, a more difficult uh, curve of learning whilst I'm sat in the car with somebody who has pedals uh, by their feet as well to stop me if anything goes wrong. It hasn't so far, but I'd much rather learn to drive on the roads in Wales when there's somebody next to me rather than learn the easy way in Corby where, you know, I mean, the test centre there is in Kettering, but let's be honest, the roads there are nicer than they are here. So I'd much rather learn here 
get it right first time, even if it means that it takes a little bit longer, even if it means it costs a little bit more. Um, that's my logic. So anyway, started lessons here in Wales, found a new instructor. His name is Lewis. He's wicked. Uh, he's actually one of my favorite people. We just really get along. I think he is a great teacher. Um, I think that people can probably learn from his style of teaching. And when I say people, I mean those in other pro uh, professions who uh, have the role of teaching people. He is just very good at teaching. So me and Lewis, there we are. Uh, we started my driving lessons once again back in March. So we recovered all of the basics and we were just getting into it. And I had this idea that I wanted to pass my driving test by July. And to be honest, at the very beginning of March, when I started my lessons, given that I've already done about 20 hours, given that it was basically like riding a bike for lots of the stuff that I had already covered in the past, I thought the target of passing my test by July was reasonable. And then COVID happened. And so, just like everything else in all of our lives, there was a big pause. And that pause continued until about four weeks ago. So I have now, once again, for the third time, technically restarted my lessons. Uh, and it's going really well. The only thing is, it is not yet possible to book a driving test in Wales. Uh, and my local test centre, as I learned today, doesn't even reopen until October for whatever reason. So... God knows when I'll actually be driving, but at least now I'm finally making progress. Something like seven years after I first started. So there you go. There is the, the seven year history of me driving lessons, theory tests and so on condensed down into a couple of minutes. I'll let you know how I get on. I'll let you know if anything interesting happens uh, in the coming weeks and months during my driving lessons. And of course, I will let you know when I'm able to book a test and whether or not I pass. Now, interestingly, speaking of tests, tests are kind of what I want to talk about today. But not driving tests, I mean exams, the tests we're all used to, right? Educational exams. Because of course, today, as I sit here and record this, Thursday is the day that students across the UK have been getting their GCSE results. And so, as it does every single year, uh, it gets me thinking about my education and it gets me thinking about the whole system that for as many as 16 years, so many of us rely on to give us direction in life. But, and look, this is not going to come as a surprise to you, you probably know my opinions on this already, it's a system that has its flaws. I tweeted this the other day, but if, if exams are a route into university, I think that this year has proven that their value is an all-time low, and that having a degree has little to no correlation to professional success in many, if not most, sectors. And I think the same can be said about GCSEs, or indeed any kind of formal education. Its actual value is questionable. Now look, I understand the purpose of education, the importance of education, of course I do. And I support those in education having to complete GCSEs and A-levels. But what I can't get on board with, no matter how much I try, is this notion that without completing A-levels with high grades and then moving into university for three years at the cost of about £50,000 uh, is the only way, or indeed the best way, to find professional success. And because of that, I think the conversation needs to start with GCSEs. 
Because, as we all know, GCSEs are a pathway into A-levels, which is a pathway into university. But here's the thing. I don't believe that a degree is needed, and in many cases, I don't believe that a degree is even the most direct route to success. Or the most cost-effective route, or the most effective route, period. It's certainly not the quickest route. When I consider the arguments, going to university a lot of the time seems like nothing more than a path of least resistance for 18-year-olds who perhaps don't yet know what they want to do and who have become, I don't know, accustomed to buckling to the suggestions and pressures of those in charge of whatever school they have attended for their whole teenage life. And I think that that's a shame for a number of reasons. Firstly, it can, not it is, not it always is, like, don't don't get what I'm saying here twisted, but it can be a waste of time. I'm now of the age where I know so many people who have gone to university, completed a degree, spent three years of their lives, accumulated £50,000 worth of debt with a completely ridiculous interest rate, only to find that they have no interest in what they've studied or they feel no more prepared for the world of work than they did when they entered. Or once they do enter the world of work, they find it incredibly difficult to even get their foot in the door of employers, despite their degree, despite uh, the, the promise of work, the promise of qualification, the promise of getting a foot up that they've been told a degree would give them. I know so many people in that position. And in that sense, university can be a waste of time because... For the people in that position that I've just described, many of them went to university to buy themselves time, is the phrase I always hear, buy themselves time. But here's the thing about time. It doesn't stop. By going to university, you're not pausing your life by three years, and if you're making the wrong decision, you're actually just putting yourself behind by three years. But in my opinion, that's not even the worst part. The worst part is this. I don't believe from the outside looking in that universities offer anywhere near the value for money they would do if it wasn't seen as such a default path in life. Let me explain what I mean by that. Universities have a fairly captive audience. I work in marketing and never before have I seen an industry that has such a straightforward and such a full funnel. Every single year, a quarter of a million young people in the UK sit their A-levels and according to UCAS almost 30% of all 18 year olds go straight into UK universities. So in 2018 that was 353,000 people. Schools literally have what may as well be called internal salespeople for universities, career officers who sit and tell young people all of the wonders of going to university as if there isn't a conflict of interest because at least in my personal experience, schools seem to, for whatever reason, love to brag about the percentage of their students who went on to higher education. And so that's the problem. Universities, which let's not forget are businesses, have a fucking massive, entirely captive market of young people who are encouraged from all angles by their teachers and school, by their parents and peers, and by society to go to university. And so they do, in their hundreds of thousands every year. And so, from a supply and demand perspective, all of the cards are held by the universities. 
And so I feel that there is nowhere near as much competition out there as there ought to be, and as there is in other markets, which leaves room for two things. Number one, the prices go up. They go right up to their cap. And number two, the focus on quality and outcomes goes down. Because the supply and demand is broken. Because so many young people are told that their only route into professional success is to go to university. It puts students in places such as the ones we find now where entire terms of education are being delivered through patchy internet connections on virtual Zoom calls with standards of communication way lower than they would have been in person and yet with universities refusing to lower their fees. They're getting away with it because they've always gotten away with it. They hold an unshakable position of power purely because they've held on to that power for so long. They command their fee, they set the rules of the game, uh, and they they dictate almost everything else. Now look, I need to caveat this with three things, to be fair. The first is that I did not go to university, so I speak from an outside perspective. Now I've spoken to lots of people of all ages about this, uh, and I can often find common ground with most people, including those who have been to university, right? But I could still be missing something. The second caveat is that I can only base my views on how my school approached this, and I know that Brookweston was heavily focused on pushing people towards university. And the third thing is that my view into education ended something like five or six years ago, so what I'm saying right now could well be out of date. None of this could apply anymore. But I can't help but feel that the path of GCSEs into A-levels, into university, isn't the right path for so many people. And the opportunity and potential that's being lost is the cost of this current one-size-fits-all system. Now, I am, of course, encouraged by things like apprenticeships and traineeships and some of the short-term measures that the government has announced to give young people a step into employment uh, as this COVID downturn continues, but I do think that we can go further. There's a conversation that we're finally starting to have about all of the different routes out there that can lead to professional success and way more importantly to happiness. Like self-actualization doesn't start or end with a £28,000 piece of A4 paper. University is right for some people. It's not right for others. And that doesn't create two classes of people or two groups of people who are any better or worse at a huge range of jobs. University, I'm sure, is a good place to learn, but it's not the only place. University is a good place to gain independence, but it's not the only place. It's a good place to build social circles, but it's not the only place. University is a good way to prepare in some way for adult life, but it is in no way the only way. And that's the conversation I think that we need to be having more often uh, in the years ahead as more and more people finish their GCSEs and their A-levels and they begin on this journey uh, kind of into adult life. Because I think that having that conversation will be doing everybody a favour. It will be doing a favour to the people who university isn't right for because they will see the options in front of them which are going straight into employment starting at the bottom it could be an apprenticeship a traineeship it could be starting a business it could be freelancing it could be 
going into the arts. It could be anything, right? But uh, it will be doing those people a favour. But I also think uh, it will be doing a favour to those who do want to go to university, who do feel that their calling is to have a degree and go into a line of work that requires that. Because, uh, you know, I was having this conversation literally 10 minutes before recording this, but value is derived from scarcity. And so the more people who have a, I don't know, fashion degree, the lower the intrinsic value of that degree, right? The more of something there is, the less it's worth. And so uh, pulling people who perhaps don't really want to go to university away from university means that degrees are worth more, right? Because they are a very particular way of learning, a very particular set of skills and a very particular set of knowledge. And if fewer people have that particular build, well, then that will be worth more, right? So, you know, there's, I, I could go on about this for hours. I could, and I, I think I ought to at some point have a conversation with somebody who works for a university or is a lecturer or who can give me insight into the other side because I haven't had uh, first-hand experience, first-hand insight into what it's like to go to university, what it's like to be somebody who works for a university, what it's like to plan the curriculum of somebody who's eventually going to get a degree. So I could be looking at this in the complete wrong way, but something tells me from everything I've read, from everything I've seen, from everything I experienced in the last couple of years at Brook Weston, and from the conversations I've had from so many people who have been to university, something tells me that it's not the only route out there. And that for many people, despite what they're told by their schools, it's not the best route for them. And so that's it. That is my annual university speech out of the way. And really, that's all I have for this week. So what I'm going to do is go straight into this week's question. And it's a question that was asked by Kevin. And it's an interesting one. So it is this. How do you deal with toxic clients? Have you ever turned potential clients down? Now, the short answer to that is yes. We have in the past turned away businesses who... Um, I wouldn't say they're toxic, that's not the right word, but that there just hasn't been that fit. Whether it's you have a call or a meeting and you just don't quite click as people, or whether in a very, very small percentage of cases, uh, we've done a bit of research into the business, as we do with every business that we uh, are likely to work with and something just doesn't sit right. There have been cases in the past whereby we have turned away potential clients because the fit just hasn't been right. And I think that's a really important thing for any business to do, right? Um, Not all revenue is created equally. And if you say yes to everything, there's going to become a point where that turns into an issue. There needs to be some sort of quality filter, whether that's a quality filter on, uh, in our case, whether we truly believe that we can grow the business who has contacted us or whether it's a culture fit kind of thing, whereby the the founding team of a business just doesn't quite align with our vision of the world or whatever, but that is in such a small percentage of cases. But on the flip side to that, I think that because we have that quality filter in place and because we have those hard and honest conversations, if that fit isn't right, we found ourselves in the very fortunate position, but a position that is no accident, whereby we've never had what I'd call a toxic client. We've never worked with a business or business owner that we have felt any sort of resentment towards, any sort of bad blood with um, during or after the working relationship. 
But I don't think that that's an accident. I think that this is something that applies in business, but also in life more generally, which is that you attract towards you people who are similar to the way you hold yourself, right? So as a business, we make no apology for being very um, focused on results, very focused on being effective, very focused on being efficient. Uh, And so as a result of that, we attract businesses who are similarly aligned with their Uh, their values, their principles, their culture, and so on. And those businesses are very often run by people who themselves share the same values that we do, right? Because it takes a certain kind of person to run that certain kind of business. And so through the proxy of our business and the businesses of our clients, we seem to attract business owners who have a very similar view of the world, a very similar view of business to us. And so whilst I'd say we're fortunate because of that, like I say, it is no mistake. And uh, there are businesses out there, there are freelancers out there who will say yes to any work. And, you know, it's it's not always worth it. There There is a, a cut-off point whereby if something just isn't right, uh, you, you shouldn't, you, I don't know how to word it, you shouldn't ever find out that somebody is toxic because you should have enough um, foundational communication with a client before work begins where you can almost suss them out right and like I say in a tiny percentage of cases we have uh, just not had that fit in place and so we haven't moved forward but generally speaking our onboarding process our sales process pitching process all of that stuff that comes Uh, before work begins is sufficient for us to get to know a business and to get to know the business owners and once that relationship's in place I think that we as humans are fairly good at using our intuition to decide how we feel about people and yeah like I say fortunately for us how we feel about the people that we work with is very positive I think they're great people Uh, and yeah that is I didn't really answer that question did I but I, I don't have any real experience with Uh, toxic clients but I think what I'm trying to get at is that is because uh, we have those those upfront conversations beforehand if a situation arises where uh, we're just not the right fit for whatever reason and so I think that that's an important thing for every business to do and that is it that is all I have but before I go I do want to say thank you to everybody who has signed up already to the mailing list Uh, But also, and perhaps more importantly, I want to say thank you to the people who have taken the time recently to respond. It's ridiculous, and in a good way. I I use the word ridiculous in a good way. It's ridiculous some of the responses I've had. I've had, like, really in-depth messages uh, about very specific points, right the way through to enormous messages, uh, catching up on people's lives, hearing about people's experiences, all because of a few lines that I write in an email twice a week and it just I feel so grateful to be able to have these conversations because these are conversations that I wouldn't otherwise be having and I enjoy them a lot so it is really really fulfilling to be able to do that so thank you if you have signed up if you're new here or if you perhaps just haven't signed up to the email newsletter you can do so by going to seanspooner.co.uk forward slash email and yes you can sign up there and you will get my next email which at the time of recording this will be on Monday. Uh, One last thing before you go, if you're listening in iTunes, please do give this a five-star review if you haven't already. Uh, We've got, I think, 13 right now, which isn't bad. 
maybe we can hit 15 this week if you haven't left one and you uh, you're on itunes please do pop into the app leave a five star review and it would be amazing if we can push that number up by two this week but in the meantime i hope you have a good week thank you once again for listening and i'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 38 of life and lessons see you then Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 